Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Video Analytics 101. We are doing these kind of um, live interviews once per month as part of our podcast series where we're interviewing industry leaders to talk about topics that usually we don't have the time to talk about when we have uh, webinars. Uh, for example, last month we were talking with Hanwa about forensic search and edge analytics, and the month before we were talking with Onvif about Profile M. Both very exciting. If you haven't seen them, you can still watch the recording. You could go to YouTube or also Google Podcast, Apple Podcast, or Spotify. Just search for Video Analytics 101 and you can listen to the recordings. All right, but today we want to discuss AI chipsets in surveillance cameras. This is super exciting. Why? Well, in 2021, you saw that a lot of manufacturers came out with so-called AI cameras. But these AI cameras are usually um, based on dedicated chipsets that are dedicated for machine learning, for deep learning, or AI. And uh, this is what we want to discuss, like how does the hardware look behind it? How do you combine it with software? How did you, you develop something like this? And what's so special about an AI chipset? And I'm very happy to have Mats Julien here with me today. And I couldn't think of a better person to talk to about this because Mats is the director of core technologies at Axis. And um, I think if there is someone um, that really knows what's going on in R&D at Axis, it's Mats. So Mats, welcome. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Florian. Really nice to be here. Um, so to start off, um, the reason why I'm so excited to talk to Mats, well, first of all, it's Axis. Axis is the largest manufacturer of surveillance cameras out there. But also Mats is from the R&D organization of Axis um, in Lund, which means that he's really at the core of what is being developed there. So we can talk more about more, um, more insights and technical stuff. So to start us off, Mats, maybe you can um, tell us a little bit about your group. What's your mandate? How is it built up? And, and what are you doing in general? Yep. So I've been with Axis almost 12 years now, and uh, I'm working within R&D in Lund but with a long-term R&D development, what we call technology development. So I've got four teams working in different topics. One team working with system-level aspects of uh, surveillance, like bandwidth, security, etc. Uh, one of the team is working with, with video encoding and audio encoding, the team behind Sipstream, that is. Uh, and then I've got two teams working with uh, AI or deep learning technologies uh, and uh, the technologies behind uh, advanced analytics, which we, we are bringing out in the cameras. So, so basically out of four teams, two are dedicated to deep learning and AI. Yep. I mean, that's really, that's very a lot really. So um, yep. that's pretty cool. Um, maybe to dive a little bit into the topic, can, I, can you tell us if we, if we talk about AI chips or AI chipsets, what are we talking about? What's so special about this kind of chip? So uh, as you know, I've, I've been working with um, the ASIC development or uh, system on chip development all my career, actually. So under Axis, we have a long tradition with our ArtPec devices, which are the, the core uh, of the cameras. Uh, and, and over time, having our own chipset and our own platform has enabled us to, to bring out innovations. So we, we really believe that uh, focusing and development effort on the, the platform, hardware platform, is uh, well worth. And things like LightFinder, Sipstream, etc., wouldn't have been possible to do without our own internal chipset. 
So the last uh, four or five years, uh, we have seen more and more uh, AI analytics coming out and, and moving from server and cloud down to edge devices. And to do that, uh, we really need to have a, a hardware platform which really accelerates the, the AI algorithms on uh, SOC devices. So that's where we talk about AI uh, acceleration and or AI chipsets. So, uh, so you you design your own systems on chips, or so yep. SOC SOCs, um, that are dedicated to to speed up deep learning processes and that are specialized for inferencing of deep learning models. I guess. Yes. So the the Artpick platform uh, contains a full system on chips. So it's uh, all the things which you normally uh, have in a camera, like image processing, etc. But on the same chipset, we have developed a large region of the silicon area to accelerate ha hardware acceleration of deep learning uh, compute. And with the new technologies we, we've seen in AI with deep learning models, uh, the compute uh, need for that is uh, is really uh, a stepping in what you're previously, you ran analytics on the CPU. Now you need hardware acceleration of the analytics. So, um, I mean, what are, so in building this, what are what are challenges that you have to consider? I guess, um, as you're saying, uh, analytics needs more and more processing power. Mm -hmm. um, I guess that puts some constraints on, on, on camera chips as well, no? Yeah, and um, sometimes the, those constraints are not obvious you know, because as an AI developer, you normally, uh, you're used to a PC with a 200 watt uh, GPU doing the calculations. So that's the kind of compute you're used to. And to, to squeeze that compute into a power envelope, in a camera we, we have a few watts, three, four watts of compute. And so, so it's the scaling of, of the compute uh, to, to have a reasonable compute with, with this, the limited uh, resources, power, uh, thermal requirements on the camera. That's the main challenge. And uh, I think we've seen a dramatic improvement in the, the capabilities of cameras over the last years. Much is historically through the, the more advanced processing nodes for ASICs. You know, the Moore's law uh, giving you twice the performance on, on 18 months. Over the last uh, uh, four or five years, we've seen the Moore's law in, in ASIC slowing down. So currently, we don't get the same increases for the with the same cost. So today, one of the challenges is to have um, enough uh, volumes on, on the cameras to be able to, to uh, uh, manage the cost of ASIC development in this. And um, just for me to understand, going back to the heat development, the reason why this is a constraint is because otherwise um, it cannot fit into such a small housing or yes. why do you have so a heat uh, and many many cameras are, are um, uh, installed in, in thermally challenging environments, either outdoor environments where you have sunlight, or mm -hmm. it could be indoor in, in enclosed environments. So, so there are two two challenges. One is dissipating the power. The other one is is since most of the cameras are, are power over the Ethernet, uh, so supplying power to the camera is also a limitation. Okay. Okay. Um, yeah, as you were saying, it um, nowadays it needs to scale your ASIC development. I mean, this 
brings me also to a um, like obvious question right now that my, many people might be asking how how do you deal with global chip shortages does this affect you or what do you do about it so uh, the the topic of uh, supply and uh, challenges in, in the supply chain pops up in, in many conversations around the, the industry today and this is uh, not specific to actually to the the uh, AR chipsets. It's uh, since those are critical components. Actually, those are less of a problem. Uh, what we see is, uh, of course, uh, simple uh, things like components, plastic material, etc., which are challenging. And, and I know that the, uh, uh, this is not my field of expertise, but I know that the uh, supply organization is focusing very much on that. But it, this is nothing specific to the surveillance industry. Uh, I've seen, I think we, we've seen with the, the pandemic and uh, uh, some of the challenges around lockdowns, uh, log logistics uh, situations where you have containers lacking around the world. Um, also, also the, the de uh, very drastic change of demand. Um, we've seen, for example, trying to get hold of a printer or a display the last year has been a challenge. So it's a global uh, situation. Of course, we, we see uh, extended lead times on some products, but uh, uh, we're in good company with, with the rest of the industry. Um, okay. And I, I think this this uh, is a challenge which will continue for, for quite some time. I guess one of the hottest topics during next year will be in the boardrooms and the management teams will be resilience how to build resilience or resilient organizations and supply chains so yes it's a, it's a challenge I, yeah it's not only our industry but also our industry that's very yeah. effective yes. and i find it interesting that you're saying um it's actually not so much the chips themselves for you but components like plastic housing yep. or so <laughs> it's surprising okay um, so talking about uh, concretely your chips, uh, I know you just released Artpack 8 at uh, um, GSX. Um, can you tell us a little bit about what's so different to the previous generations, Artpack 7 or Artpack 6, and what is it really you're adding in terms of functionality and so on? So with, uh, with Artpack 8, there are a number of improvements, of course. We're, since we have a, uh, the, the Artpack generations, we, we continuously improve in all areas. So there have been improvements in, in image processing and, and uh, encoding processing, etc. But the main uh, addition to this is um, uh, that we, we've spent a lot of the, the resources on the silicon resources uh, on a, a high-performance deep learning acceleration unit. Uh, and it's not only that we have a specific hardware component to do acceleration, but uh, to, to do this, um, specifically for the kind of, of use cases and applications we're running. You need to target the acceleration of specific deep learning models, which are, are focused for the embedded uh, world. So, so the typical uh, deep learning models you have for a, a GPU or cloud, those need to be tuned and, and tweaked to fit within the, the limited uh, power envelope. And then you so, need to have the specific hardware to accelerate them. So are you saying, so? You're not talking about small models like MobileNet or so, but yeah, rather uh, tweaking larger models like YOLO for your envelope. So, uh, as you know, the, there are a number of um, open models, uh, in, in, but with 
some some uh, some specific characteristics. Uh, I think w what we do is we we take um, inspiration of some of the open research and try to tune that to, to our use cases and the hardware exploration we have. But okay. it's not only exploration of the models, but uh, it's also the, on a system level. You, you need to have the, the image quality, the image processing tuned for uh, the deep learning engine. So without the good image processing, the, the, the algorithm and detections won't be uh, on a high level. You need to sort of uh, focus on the system level aspects on that. And having the full ARCPIC uh, ASIC design in-house, uh, the, the teams are e much easier uh, to collaborate on, on these system level aspects. Okay. Um, there, there actually is a conversation going on in the, in the chat, and I just want to mention it. Because the, the question came, um, if, the, uh, if everything is done in ARCPIC 8 itself, or if there's a co-processor? And so, uh, apparently the comment is um, not really. So uh, in, um, in specific products, we use co-processors, co but, but the, the Artpick products, Artpick 8 products, which we launched, launched now, which is a, a dome camera and a fixed box camera, uh, and the future uh, Artpick 8 cameras, they, they will be a single SOC device. Uh, so uh, the, the hardware acceleration of deep learning is within the ArtPick 8 uh, device. And the reason for that is mainly that uh, having two silicon uh, components, uh, that draws much more uh, power. So to do it efficiently, you need to integrate into one device. Okay, and I guess that's also one advantage that you do your own SOC, that yeah. you can combine it because otherwise you could take off-the-shelf components and yes. somehow put them together. But of course, we, since we have a broad portfolio, uh, today we, we see a few products with, with this level of deep learning acceleration in the portfolio. But moving for, forward, all new products will be uh, having a DL, deep DLPU, which is the deep learning processing unit. Okay. So we will see the, the full portfolio having, of course, there will be uh, different performance levels of deep learning, the, the more high-end products will have uh, room for more power envelope, and therefore they will accelerate the uh, deep learning models a bit more. Yeah, today, uh, I think with older models, you distinguish between the machine learning models and the deep learning yep. models, right? Yes. And as you and know, the machine learning models based on, on uh, a somewhat older technology ha have limitations, uh, and that's uh, in the, the basic technology. What we see with deep learning models is a much more robust uh, object detection. Uh, you're much more uh, tolerant to invariance, uh, uh, rotations, lightning conditions, etc. So um, deep learning models will be broadly deployed in the portfolio. Yeah, so I, I guess at one point you will replace the machine learning ones with the deep learning models. Yeah. Going forward. Yeah. Yes. And um, I mean, considering that your your group specifically deals with with long term stuff like long term R and D, um, can you give us an idea for ArtPack eight, for example? What's the what's the runtime for this? So how long have you been working on this? Uh, so I mean, as everyone who, who's been working with um, ASIC development know, the, the lead times for development is quite long. Uh, we have multiple uh, versions of ArtPacks ongoing in development, different phases in development. Mm -hmm. Uh, and uh, looking back, uh, I, actually, when I started, I, I started out as a project manager for Artpick 4. So I've been through a number of generations. 
so the the cycle time is somewhere around two years uh, for each generation. Well, it's not but, too bad. Uh, but I mean, today we're working with Artpic nine, Artpic ten uh, internally, and of course you, you you need to have a vision on where where the industry is moving, what what is uh, the future requirements on on hardware platforms. Okay, uh, I mean that's maybe a, a very good segue to talk about where do you think um, this is going mm -hmm. in terms of um, hardware development, but also, of course, it's interesting your vision on on how cameras and VMSs will work together in the future and how yep. how this will evolve. So it's um, when we discuss AI and analytics, it's very easy to be visionary. Of course, what you see often on YouTube, etc., is the more visionary uh, applications. Uh, and I think talking to that uh, around AI and analytics in the surveillance industry, we should also be careful to to have a reasonable um, expectation on the models and the performance of analytics. It's always a balance between missing alarms uh, and false alarms and the cost for false alarms. So with, with that sort of a, as a caveat, um, looking forward uh, with hardware acceleration on the deep learning models, we, we will see increasing performance on, on the, the underlying hardware acceleration as we have seen before. But I think the, the, the advantage is, is also on a system level so that you see uh, hardware acceleration of specific models which are used in, in surveillance. So it's uh, the, the combination of uh, fine-tuning algorithms with the hardware acceleration and the system uh, image processing together with uh, analytics. That's where we will see the, the major improvements. Because the overall uh, power envelope, for example, that's something which most likely we want to have a 200 watt camera mm -hmm. broadly deployed. So that's where we would we see some of the advantages. Uh, and then I, I think today we, we have basic things like uh, object detection and, and um, generating metadata. Uh, we will see increasing quality on, on those basic building blocks, but adding more functionality, more classes, more attributes, that's a, a given. But seeing more uh, where we start to see key points uh, and, and tracking not only objects, but behavior of objects. And in human behavior is, is the next step which we want to address on, on, on edge devices. So uh, as you saw when we launched our Picate, we, we at the same time launched our application development platform. Mm -hmm. I think what we will see moving forward is more and more applications being developed for, for specific use cases. So not only the basic use cases, but specific uh, development for either a specific use case or a specific industry market uh, and then uh, being able to run those applications on the camera has a lot of advantages one is of course the, the scalability advantage that in a system where you have 100 200 cameras if you're able to run the, the heavy lifting the, the heavy processing on the cameras that would offload a centralized server we, we will see more and more of these hybrid solutions where the, the heavy processing is done on the camera. Metadata is sent to VMS or a, a server base where you do um, fine tuning or more processing, processing over a camera system, tracking between cameras, for example. 
So I, I think driving this, we need to have the platform to do applications which can run on edge and take advantage of the benefits on edge, like uh, uh, the image quality you, you get when running on the edge. Yeah. But also an open integration of the metadata into VMS. So. I think um, one of the, as, as you were saying on YouTube, everything looks nice. Um, but one of the challenges in practice with video analytics is, is as you mentioned, scalability. Yeah. Um, because in reality, we have many customers that want it on hundreds or even thousands of cameras. Mm -hmm. But once you get to deployment, it's not so easy anymore. Mm -hmm. um, of course, it helps if it can run on the edge, but it, we also need all need to work on simplicity and ease of deployment. Yes. And that's why I think it's so cool, actually, that in the newest version of the, of the ACAP, you support uh, containers as well. So yes. maybe there's a future where um, applications can, can run on the server or on the camera or be deployed by a server on the camera. Yes. So that's very interesting, I think. I totally agree. And uh, that kind of... Uh... To, to have the, the vision of a hybrid system, hybrid architecture, we need to remove the, the hurdles and make it very simple for a user to upgrade a system and, and to manage a system. I think working with open standards like the, the a container platform, that's a way to enable that. And that, that enables also um, more well-known tools, which are well-known in, in the IT industry, how to manage a system of, of compute resources. So we're yes. moving into a new era in that. And uh, it's really exciting to see. And, uh, uh, and you're absolutely right. The part of the new era that we also see with, with, with um, products that are born in the cloud and so on, we need to rely as much as possible on standards to be interoperable and yes. really focus on the stuff we we can do uniquely. We don't need to reinvent the wheel. No. Um, but um, but using standards is very important. Yeah. I think this, this is line with with the the um, how Access has worked. We, we've worked with the ACAP platform for the last ten years. Something now we're remaking the platform to to facilitate the AI uh, open standards, open libraries. But working with partners in an open collaborations, that's the way to, to jointly address uh, the, the end customer uses, uh, end customer needs. Maybe that's a good point to take a final um, question from the chat. I'm not sure if you're the right person to, to ask this, but maybe you have an idea. So the question is, what does your validation process look like for ACAP-based applications? So I guess people who build these applications, how do you validate them? So. Uh, Depending on what, what what we we mean be, with validation, the problem with AI applications is that the main uh, thing you need to do is to test the application in in a real environment. So so in the ACAP platform, we, there are uh, things like uh, the tools, the st stable APIs, and also um, uh, me mechanisms to make cybersecurity of applications self-contained. We don't have a, a validation process that we validate the the, um, the application performance because the, that's the expertise of the application development partners. So we, our best of breeds uh, approach to this is to work with partners together with system integrators in, in each project and jointly together look at what is the need for that specific project. We don't believe that you could packetize a, a niche application on, on a, 
and, uh, sort of a, a web page and just download it, and it will work. Uh, we need to have the expertise for that niche in the real use case. Yeah, uh, I, I agree. Um, we are already uh, 10 minutes over the time that we wanted to take. Usually we try to keep it 15 minutes. But it was very interesting. Uh, thank you, Mats, for joining. Um, thank you. I, I, it would be great to talk for, for a, a lot longer with you because it's very insightful. But we want to keep these things short so um, so uh, we people get um, very short and packed information. So thank you for joining, Mats. Thank you for having me. Really Otherwise, nice. uh, thank you everybody for uh, joining this episode. As I mentioned, you can still rewatch that. It will be on YouTube. It will be on Spotify, on Google Podcasts and Apple Podcasts. Otherwise, we are taking a break over Christmas, so there won't be an episode on uh, in December. But we have a very interesting one prepared for January already. And the one for February is also already in the works. So stay tuned. Look around at LinkedIn for the invite. Otherwise, thank you for joining and see you next time.